invite you to open your Bibles with me this morning to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 18, the Gospel of Luke, as we're continuing our series of Luke's wonderful letter written um, in, uh, to uh, one of the later Gospels written to um, Gentiles across the, uh, the known world of that time as uh, Luke is presenting a wonderful Savior, uh, one who heals uh, and one who teaches and challenges his people in sort of direct ways. Uh, Jesus speaks very uh, frankly, and uh, we've been noticing as we go through the, the Gospel of Luke. We're going to come here to a parable, uh, chapter 18, verses 1 through 8, as Jesus calls us uh, to enduring prayer. Let's give our attention to God's Word this morning. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused. But afterward he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Let's ask the Lord to bless his word. God in heaven, we come to your word today as students who need to be taught. We come, Lord... Um, as needy people who need to be led, who need to be fed, and we thank you, Lord, that your word is sufficient to this task. So bless us now. May we uh, be willing students, um, hungry hearers, and Lord, build us up in, by your word today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Our text this morning is uh, it's about a topic that most Christians, um, I think, would agree is one of the more, most difficult disciplines in the Christian life. Uh, there are few Christians who would say they are content with their prayer life. Um, I've, I've talked to Christians who, who've flat out said, I almost never pray. It's hard for me to pray. Martin Lloyd-Jones, uh, the great British preacher, once said that he had never written uh, on prayer because he didn't really feel qualified to do so. He uh, had a deep sense of his own inadequacy. Tim Keller has a book out on prayer, and he confesses that he, really, he didn't really learn how to pray until he was 50 years old. Why is prayer so hard? Uh, you could give a lot of different answers to that. It's hard because uh, we're busy people and it takes time. Uh, it's hard because um, sometimes it doesn't seem to affect things. It doesn't seem to change things. I think Jesus puts his finger on one of the reasons that it's difficult, maybe the essential reason, and, and that is that prayer is the essence and evidence of a life that is lived by faith. Prayer is what happens when we live life depending on God, and, and we are hardwired to live life depending on ourselves. We like depending on ourselves. We're very comfortable living our life on the basis of what we think and what we know and what we're able to do. We like that lifestyle. And the evidence of, of that way of living is, is 
How difficult it is for us to pray. Uh, Prayer and a self-dependent life don't go together well. It's like oil and water. Not that we never pray. We'll pray before meals maybe and and, um, maybe in the morning. But it's true, often true, that we have a difficult time giving ourselves to extended, deep, Uh, times of pouring out our heart to the Lord, uh, taking significant time to to tell him about the details of our life, the trials, the temptations that we're facing, um, pleading his promises, praying for other people in a a deep and significant way, praying for the, the purposes of God to be at work in the world. That sort of prayer. Prayer that, that really um, is a matter of you in the presence of God, in faith, uh, rejoicing in who He is, in, in, and leaning heavily upon what He, what he has uh, promised and what He's accomplished already and, and what He's going to do. A, a life that is not driven by a relig- sense of religious duty or just a force of habit, but a, but a prayer life that's driven by faith. That's what Jesus is talking about. And so He's going to call us to that this morning. A prayer life driven by faith. Let's note first just the parable. It's a very simple story. Uh, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him uh, saying, give me justice against my adversary. The parable's been called uh, either the parable of the persistent widow or the parable of the unjust judge. Well, Jesus clearly means for us to identify in the story with the widow. He doesn't mean for us to, to sort of identify and say, yeah, yeah, yeah we're, we need to be like the unjust judge. He wants us to be like the, un, like the persistent widow. And so let's just enter into the story from her perspective. Maybe try to put ourselves in her shoes. A, a widow is a, is a person, particularly in Jesus' day, with many disadvantages. A, a person who's in great need. She's a woman, to start with, in a society where women have no real standing, no no rights. She has almost no power in her society as a woman. And she's a widow, which is an even more serious disadvantage, because in that society, as a woman, your status comes from your, your social status, comes from your marital status. You get your identity, your significance, and your security from your husband. And she doesn't have a husband. She's a widow. And so she has no standing in the society, no power. She's without protection. She's helpless. That's what Jesus wants us to see when he mentions and puts before us a widow. This is a a helpless person. And unfortunately, in the real world, helplessness is a signal to wicked people of an opportunity to take advantage. Right? Sometimes uh, you'll notice that even, in, obviously, in the world today. Helpless people are the people most often abused and, and taken advantage of. And that's exactly what's happening here. Jesus doesn't tell us the exact nature of her, uh, her trial, but she has an adversary. Someone is out to harm her. That much is, is clear. Most likely, it's some man in the community who, uh, seeing her disadvantaged position, is, is taking advantage in some way. Maybe he's, there's a debt that he owes that he just simply flat out refuses to pay. 
says, you know, so sue me. Clearly, it's not a small thing. It's not an insignificant matter because she feels compelled to press it and press it and press it. Her very livelihood might depend on seeing that this matter gets set right. And so she goes to the local judge. That's where you would go. Right? Here's a man that's been commissioned by God, uh, put in place uh, in that community to ensure that justice gets done. That's his, you know, one job. Judge, this is your job. Make sure that justice happens. Romans 13 tells us, Paul says, that, that all civil authority is ordained by God. And, and it's commissioned by God, responsible to God, to do just simple things. Promote justice by punishing evildoers and rewarding those who are righteous. That's, that's, that's the job description. So this man has this responsibility before God to exercise the authority that he's been given to punish evildoers and reward those who are righteous, in this instance, his responsibility is very clear. It's to help the widow, to reward this person, um, and to punish the adversary who is harming her. But this judge could not care less about uh, his responsibility before the Lord. Notice the text says he has no fear of God or respect for people. He doesn't care what God wants. It is, it is literally the last thing on his mind, uh, what, what God would want him to do in this case. He has no sense of, a, of a, an obligation before the Lord to enact justice. He could care less about justice. He doesn't care about God. He doesn't care about people. He, his office, you see, in his mind, as is the case so often throughout the world, where, where a wicked people assume that this office is not about enacting justice. This office is about um, furthering self-interest. This is an opportunity to get rich. This is a position to be taken advantage of for his own ends. And so this poor woman, you see, she's got no leverage with this guy. She can't, she can't say, you need to do the right thing. He doesn't care about the right thing. He wants to know what's the payoff. Where's the benefit to me in this? And if there's no benefit to him in this, he's, not, he's just not interested. Be gone. So put yourself in this woman's shoes. She has an adversary. She has no standing in the community. She does have a case, but she has a wicked judge who could care less about her case. I mean, think about how helpless she would feel, how hopeless this would seem. She has no power, no standing, no ability to move this man to give, to do what he's supposed to do and give her the justice that she needs. She only has one weapon, persistence, and that's what she uses. She just keeps coming, day after day, give me justice against my adversary. Now, even that at first didn't seem to be working. For a while, the text says, for a while the judge refused, right? It maybe becomes a matter of principle for him. No woman's going to be ordering me around. I'm a guy. I'm a judge. What right does she have to call me, right, to, to do my job. But, but at another level, what benefit is there? 
He just can't see a benefit. She clearly doesn't have money to bribe him. There's, there's no benefit. He's not going to get any reward for, for doing the right thing here. So it's just, what's the point? But day after day after day after day after day, this woman just won't let up. Every day, there she is. Every day. She's wearing him down, wearing him out. Uh, Riken tells the story of a, of a rancher in Colorado who was, um, he received a renewal notice uh, for the National Geographic magazine. He had been a subscriber and he'd let his subscription lapse. And so some computer somewhere right, um, punched out this nice little letter. Um, you, you, your, your subscription has, has lapsed and um, this is, these are the reasons why you want to make sure that you renew unless you're being ignoramus right in the world. And um, so please send your check into this address. That's well, the problem was, over a course of three days, there was some glitch in the computer so that he got 9,734 of these renewal notices. So finally, he got in his truck, he drove 10 miles uh, to the nearest town, went to the post office, he filled out the, the, the prescription form, and he wrote on the check, I give up, send me the magazine. <laughs> well, that's what's happening with this judge. Uh, for a while he refuses, he says to himself, notice, though I neither fear God nor respect man, he knows who he is, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so she does not beat me down by her continual coming. You see, her, her persistent cry for justice is wearing him out. He's tired of it. She's a pain in the neck. So you see, his self-interest has finally been engaged. He, he has no concern for justice, but he would like some peace and quiet. And, and, if, and if, if, if all it's going to take for peace and quiet is to, is to give her what she wants, so be it. And so his self-interest is engaged, and, and he gives her the justice that she asked for. So that's the parable. What's the point why does Jesus tell this parable? Sometimes, you know, Jesus leaves the disciples in the dark. He'll tell a parable, and they're wondering, man, well, and they'll be talking about themselves, and Jesus says, you guys don't get that? And he'll have to tell it to them. Well, he tells us right up front what this parable is about. Luke does. Verse 1, he told them a parable to the effect they ought always to pray and not lose heart. So a couple things. Jesus wants us to pray, always pray, a life of prayer, and he wants us to do that without losing heart. He wants us to endure in it. He, he wants us to be like the widow. This, um, she's the model, right? She's the illustration of, of what our prayer life should look like. But if you study this story, there's going to be some confusion maybe here for you. How is this supposed to help? Because at first glance, the, the parable doesn't seem that encouraging, Here's a widow, here's a reluctant, miserable man for a judge, and she just kind of goes and she's banging and banging and banging and banging and banging, and finally she wears out this guy and he gives her, gives her what uh, she wants. You see, a story like that could confirm your secret suspicions about God and prayer in general, that uh, God... Maybe you've been praying about something for a long time, and, and God doesn't seem to be responding. You've been knocking on this door for quite some time now. 
And you're wondering, why doesn't God answer? I've heard people say, uh, prayer doesn't work. Believe me, I tried. I I asked God over and over for for this thing, and and nothing happened. And and that that can be, those can be places of real uh, grief in in people's lives. Real disillusionment. I, I remember a man saying with tears in his eyes once, he said, when I was a boy, I begged God, I begged him to not let my parents get divorced, but my dad left anyway. It's hard for me to believe that God really cares about my prayers. Another one said, I, I prayed and prayed that my sister wouldn't die, but she did, and I have no idea why God let that happen. So this is not just light stuff. This isn't a, a real um, existential struggle for, for, for God's people. If you've ever been deeply disappointed in prayer, maybe you're there right now, uh, the, the parable might not seem helpful. In fact, it, it might seem offensive. It, because it, it almost sounds as if Jesus is saying, uh, no matter how many times you've rammed your head into that brick wall, just keep ramming. You've prayed, you've begged, you've cried, uh, but uh, nothing's happened, but just keep cr- uh, crying, keep begging, uh, keep praying. Like the widow. Is that encouraging? That's not encouraging. In fact, it's, it's almost offensive. Why should we have to beg so hard for what is merely right? This woman is not asking for favors. She's asking for justice. She's asking for justice. Why does God, you see, make us beg for things that seem so inherently right? That seem, in, in our mind, in our heart, we we. we we seem to be very certain that this is what God would, would want to have happen. And yet we, we ask and we ask and we ask and, and he doesn't do it. So, so why does Jesus want us to keep banging our head against the wall? Particularly if, if, if God has determined in his, in his decreed will not to do this thing. You see, then why not just, just tell us? Isn't it cruel if, if God has, has not determined to do a certain thing? Wouldn't it be cruel for God to ask you? Just keep running into that impenetrable brick of divine sovereignty, that brick wall. You just, you just keep running into that thing. So how, how does this help? Well, it's... In truth, the parable is profoundly encouraging, but we have to pay attention to it, you see, because Jesus is is, uh, using uh, this illustration, um, there's a twist to it. He's he's using this story as an anti-type. The parable is not an analogy. We're not supposed to look at what happens here and say, okay, this, this is what the Christian life is like. It's not an analogy. It's a contrast. Almost everything in the story is diametrically opposed to, completely the opposite of, the actual situation for a child of God. And so we, we see that in verses 6 through 8. The Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says. Right? He says, I don't fear God, I don't care about people, but this woman's just wearing me out. I'm, I'm sick of her bothering me, she's a pain in the neck. And I'll give her what she wants. Hear what he says. And then he doesn't say, right, and, and, and that's what your father in heaven is like. He says, will not God 
give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? Will he not give justice speedily? You see, the, the, the unrighteous judge stands in the, the sharpest possible contrast to the Lord. Everything we see in him, we see the opposite of in God. Notice there's four specific contrasts here in, in the parable. First, the unrighteous judge has no concern for justice. He doesn't care about justice. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't have anything to do with the priorities of his life. But God is the God of justice. The living God has an infinite concern for justice because, you see, all justice is his justice. God is not just because he observes the laws of justice as though they stood outside of himself. God is just because all justice flows from himself. Justice is what it is because of the character of God. What is just is everything that is in keeping with, in line with the character of God. So Abraham, for instance, appeals to this when God says and says to Abraham, Genesis 18, he says, I'm going to destroy the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. The wickedness has, has come up to my ears, and I'm going to bring um, judgment. And Abraham begins to, to talk to him about that. It, Genesis 18, 25. Far be it from you to do such a thing, to put the righteous to death with the wicked, so that the righteous fare as the wicked. He says, God, Lord, there's, there's some righteous people in those cities. Far be that from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just. God, you're the judge of all the earth. You, you can't do that. You can't treat uh, wicked people and righteous people the same way. That's not just. That's his argument. And it prevails. Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? You see, friends, never doubt God's passion and unwavering, unflinching, eternal commitment to full and perfect justice. If you want to know the greatest evidence for that, you just need to look at the cross. Because in the cross, we don't just see the mercy of God, we see the justice of God. Rather than allowing evil go unpunished, God was willing to sacrifice and punish his only begotten son. So that sin is judged. Sin is condemned. Wickedness is responded to. Justice prevails. God is, was able, Paul says, to be both just and the justifier of the ungodly. The gospel is not just about the love of God. It is about the justice, the perfect justice of God. The, the Lord, the judge of all the earth, will do what is just, even if it means putting his own son on a cross. So when you go to the living God and you're asking for justice, you can know to the marrow of your bones that God cares about justice much more than you do. He knows what he's doing and he will do what is right. 1675, Samuel Rodegast had a good friend of his who was dying, a godly man, of a disease. And he wrote a hymn reflecting their conversations together. 
goes like this, whatever my God ordains is right, his holy will abideth. I will be still whate'er he doth and follow where he guideth. He is my God, though dark my road. He holds me that I shall not fall, wherefore to him I leave it all. The unrighteous judge has no concern for justice. My God ordains what is right. He's a God of justice. The second contrast is the unrighteous judge didn't care a whit about people. He cared not for men, had no respect for people. And yet the scriptures from, page, from, from the first page to the end is just this un- unbelievable evidence of God's great concern and care for people. No one cares for, for men, for mankind, more than the God who made us in his image and likeness. He made us a little lower than the angels and then gave us a glory above the angels as he called you and me, creatures made in his image, to serve as his vice regents and lords in the world. And he, and he promised all good things to us. And even when Adam and Eve and all their posterity sinned in the fall, God continued to provide food and nourishment and clothing and and, and loving relationships. He sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. People enjoy this beautiful creation while every moment despising the God who made it. All from the hand of God. Every perfect gift comes from the Father of lights. And then again, you see, what would be the great evidence of God's care for people? It's that he was willing for his own son because he so loved the world. That he was willing to, to, to give his son in death. That whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. No one has ever loved people the way God loves people. No one's ever cared for men, cared for their bodies, cared for their souls the way God cares for men's body and soul. The care of God, the love of God for people is it's just stunning. You look at the Old Testament and he, the Israelites over and over and over again sin against God and break covenant with God and, and he'll discipline them for it, but he grieves as he does it. Oh, Ephraim, how shall I give you up, my son? In all their tribulations caused by their own stupidity and sin, he too was troubled. The love of God is greater far than tongue or pen could ever tell, right? It goes beyond the highest star and reaches to the lowest hell. God loves men made in his image, and he loves particularly, right, his own. And that's where Jesus reminds us in a beautiful way. You see, number three, the contrast, the widow has no standing with the judge. She has no standing whatsoever. She doesn't have, she's not relation. She's not a friend. She doesn't know powerful people. She doesn't have money to bribe him. She has no standing. There is no expense to this judge to ignore her. But you you couldn't have a greater contrast here between the widow and her standing before this unrighteous judge and a believer standing before the God who elected him. Will not God give justice to his elect? Why does Jesus remind us of election? Because you're not coming to God, you see, as as an unknown widow with no standing. When you come to God in prayer, you're coming to the God who knew you before you were born, who in love gave you to Jesus Christ, who gave Jesus to you to bear all of your sin, to be your righteousness and your redemption and your peace and your sanctification, your everlasting life. 
everything you see that you need, you have in Jesus. If you have your Bible, just quickly go to Ephesians chapter 1. Because Paul captures here in Ephesians 1, just the wonder of God's election and what it means for us when we, as we come to him in prayer. Ephesians chapter 1. This is a, just a magnificent text. Verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. One of the, the blessings of your election is that God is going to sanctify you. He's going to make you holy and blameless. He's going to justify you. He's going to sanctify you. He's going to glorify you. Even as he chose us, and then let's go to, in love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he's blessed us in the beloved. You don't come as an unknown widow, you come as a son, you come as a daughter. He's adopted you. You have everything to appeal. Right, boys and girls, when you go to your mom and dad and you ask for breakfast and they say, well, why should I give you breakfast? You should say, well, because I'm hungry and because you're the dad. You're the mom. Moms and dads provide for their children. Now, if you're asking for an Xbox, don't try that, but breakfast will work. <laughs> there are responsibilities, boys and girls, that parents have that you can appeal to. You can come to the Father and say, Father in heaven, I am your child. And I'm pleading your promises. You've made obligations to me in Jesus Christ. So in him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he has set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. You have every spiritual blessing in Christ. The promise of, of justification, sanctification, glorification, the promise of an eternal inheritance. You are an adopted son. When you come to God in prayer, you have every bit of standing that you could possibly imagine. What more would we want is standing before God? There's nothing more to have. We have Christ as our plea. We have our election. God, you chose me. I didn't choose you. I didn't sort of sign up for this. You chose me, and you've promised me all this in Jesus Christ. It's an amazing thing to be a Christian, to stand before the living God with this standing and to offer up our prayers. Jesus says, will not God give to his elect justice? And then four, will he not do it speedily? The unrighteous judge dawdled dallied around in this matter of justice. Wasn't, he just wasn't concerned. Jesus says, the Father will not delay. Will he delay? No, he will not delay. He will give justice speedily. Now, some of you might be thinking, I don't know if Jesus really, what does he mean by speedily here? Because I've been praying for years, and I've not seen an answer. 
Well, we do have to realize that Jesus thinks about time differently than we do. Uh, We think two weeks is a long time. Jesus looks at time through the lens of eternity. So Jesus says numerous times in the book of Revelation, Behold, I am coming soon. This is probably A.D. 90, 95 maybe. I am coming soon. And it's 2016, just about 17. And he's not here. So this is almost 2,000 years. That's not what we would call soon. It's absolutely what Jesus calls soon in light of eternity. And that's exactly how the apostles think. So Paul will say in, first, in 2 Corinthians 4, 17, our light and momentary affliction, momentary might be every single day of your life, and yet it's, it's momentary. Peter says, 1 Peter 1, 6, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. So, so speedily means, he will give justice speedily, means when Jesus comes again. It's clear that's what he means, because he asks the question, when I do come, will I find faith on earth? Speedily means when Jesus comes again. So, let's apply that. Does that mean, then, that you might not see justice in your case until Christ returns? Yes, that's exactly what it means. You might suffer injustice all of your life. You might be unjustly denied what is rightfully yours. Maybe a spouse promised to love and honor and cherish you until death do you part, and they violated that promise, and maybe they violate that promise every day. And you have a right to what they promised. Maybe you've been unjustly denied the love and care of a parent who abandoned you, who neglected you, maybe even who abused you. Maybe you've unjustly had a friend betray you. Maybe you've had a child taken away from you. Maybe you've had a career or a dream stolen from you. You may be unjustly persecuted. You might even have your life unjustly taken from you by wicked, perverse men. And God might not rectify any of those circumstances until he comes again. That's what Jesus is saying. So how are we supposed to live in a world like that? Well, the answer is by faith. The question Jesus asks, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? That's, that's, the, question. that's the question of the parable. So what are we going to live by? Are we going to live by faith or by sight? Are we, are we going to trust the matters of justice into the hands of God, or are we going to um, look on getting those things in whatever means that we can do? So what, what, where are you going to depend on for joy and for peace in this world? Is it, it's either going to be, you see, you're going to look to get your way to right the wrongs, protect your rights, or looking and trusting in the Lord. And this way will produce bitterness. This, this way will produce um, deep cynicism, anger, resentment, loss of joy, broken relationships, lack of peace. We've all been down that road. And this way, trusting in the Lord, will produce kindness, gentleness, patience, 
Self-control. Peace. And the question that Jesus asks is, what, is, what will he find in your life? When he comes again, what's he going to find? Will he find the kind of faith that stands in the midst of injustice with patience and peace? Or not? I asked someone this past week if they were disheartened by the results of the recent election. And this person said very firmly, yes, I was very disheartened. And I said, well, tell me about that. What was disheartening? You know what he said? He said, I saw the sovereignty of God crumble in people's faces. Some of God's children acting and speaking in panic. As though the king were not on the throne. And we are all guilty. We're all guilty. What do we actually hope in? Where, where is our sense of security found? What if the, what if the stock market crashes, I mean crashes, crashes tomorrow. There will be people in this congregation who are getting desperate phone calls because they're, the person on the other end of the line has just lost their comfort, lost their security, lost their peace. When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith? Faith. What kind of faith? What does Jesus want us to believe? Just the basic things, I think, from this story. He wants us to believe that God is a good judge and he will do what is right. That we don't question the character of God in the midst of trials or injustice. He wants us to really know and believe that God is good. He's just. He'll do what's right. And he wants us to know that we are his elect children by faith in Jesus Christ. And, and that God cares for his children more than we can possibly imagine. And the evidence is the cross. Romans 8, 31, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Can we charge God with not caring if he's given his son when we were in our sin? And if he's done that while we were yet sinners, will he not give us in perfect time everything we need for life and godliness? Will not justice find us speedily? Yes, it will, friends. Yes, it will. One day, every wrong is going to be made right. Every injustice is going to be set true, set right. Every wrong turned around. We're going to see on that day that God worked with impeccable skill, perfect timing. And the question that Jesus puts before you and me today is, are you willing to trust him for that? Are you willing to wait then until that day? Are you willing to live by faith? Can you, can you take up that confidence? Whatever my God ordains is right. Here shall my stand be taken, though sorrow, need, or death be mine, yet I am not forsaken. My Father's care is round me there. He holds me that I shall not fall, and so to him I leave it all. Whatever my God ordains is right, he never will deceive me. He leads me by the proper path. I know he will not leave me, and take content what he hath sent, his hand can turn my griefs away, and patiently I wait his day. Patiently I wait his day.
May God grant he finds that faith in my life and yours. Let's pray. Oh, God in heaven, it might be very hard for some of us this morning to, to say honestly, truthfully, whatever my God ordains is right. And, and Lord, you know that we're made of dust and you know that we're weak. And there are losses and fears that seem so overwhelmingly real and deep. But Lord, I, I pray that we would take it by faith today in light of eternity that what you ordain is right. And Lord, I pray that then being people of faith, we would pray without ceasing. You promise to hear us. We do not come to a reluctant God, but a God who initiated this covenant relationship, who called us to himself before we were born, before we'd done anything right or wrong. But simply because of his own love, he called us to himself and gave us to Jesus and gave Jesus to us Oh, God in heaven, I pray that we would read your character and your concern in light of the cross of Jesus Christ. Take away from our mouth any words of reviling, any words of complaining or grumbling against your care. Father, forgive us for our faithlessness. I pray you would give us the ability to believe that you are good, that you are sovereign, that you care for your people. And to have absolute confidence that the day of Christ is speedily coming our way. And on that day, everything will be made right. Lord, we pray that you would give us the grace to live by faith. To the glory of your name, your character, your promises. We pray it. Amen.